You are listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. This series is called Kingdom Come, where we take a look at what to expect when the baby king comes to earth. We obviously are starting a new series this week. Um, we're going to be in a four-week series through the Christmas time that we're calling Kingdom Come. Uh, we actually thought about calling this series Baby King. Um, we're in a, in a one-year series talking about the king and the kingdom. Uh, but we thought Kingdom Come is kind of a, kind of a cool name and it kind of very easily and very quickly just kind of gives you the idea of what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks today and the next three weeks after today. We're going to be talking about when the kingdom comes, what it looks like, what character traits exist in the kingdom of God as we know it. And as you can tell, um, Nicole did a great job with our decorations. There's uh, snowflakes that Laurie helped out with and, and a tree. And today we're going to be talking about love. We're going to be lighting, instead of lighting candles, which is kind of the traditional thing that a lot of churches do, we thought we'd light uh, poster boards. That's maybe a little bit more our style. So um, we're going to be lighting uh, up love this morning, and then we'll just add to that as we go through the series. So we're going to be talking about the traditional Christmas candle type things that you talk about in other churches, love, peace, joy, hope, um, those kinds of things. Today, we're going to be talking about love. Um, I mean, I, it was great that Mindy was here this morning to talk to us about Nightlight. We get excited when we think about the love that exists in a ministry like that, that they're loving girls, loving guys that are trapped in this industry, and we want to be a part of that love that goes out to them. And so, you know, obviously this, this is the time of year that we think about these things. We think about joy. We think about peace a little bit more than other times of the year. But I hope that, especially after this morning, that we'll be starting to think about love and how we can love others a little bit more and how we can experience the love of Christ. Where we're going to be this morning is Luke chapter 1. So if you, want to, if you brought a Bible this morning and you want to go ahead and turn there, if you didn't bring a Bible, no worries. Uh, we actually have a live event in the YouVersion app. Uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible on your phone or tablet, uh, we put a live event in there. So you, we put all the verses in there. There's like seven or eight verses that we're going to be reading this morning, jumping around a little bit. And so if you want to jump around pretty quickly and easily for, with us, just jump into that live event in the YouVersion app on your device if you already have it. Uh, you can download it for free if you don't. Um, we'll also have the verses up on the screen behind me as well. So don't, don't uh, feel bad if you didn't bring a Bible this morning. We'll, we'll go ahead and help you out as much as we can. Luke chapter 1, 68 through 79 is where we're going to be reading today. The passage is from a guy named Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah lived around the same time as Jesus. He was an older man um, uh, from the previous generation of Jesus, but he was very contemporary to the story of Jesus, and Jesus was actually about to be born, not yet, but about to be born when we read the passage that we're going to read this morning. It's a, it's a prophecy. It's a, a predictive prophecy. He was predicting things that were about to happen, and for him, they were about to happen very soon, as opposed to some of the Old Testament prophecies that would maybe take hundreds of years to, to pan out. He was actually talking about things that were going to happen in just a matter of months or a matter of years as Jesus was getting ready to be born. But let's talk about Zechariah for a little bit, because I don't know that Zechariah is a character that a lot of us know a whole lot about him. Uh, even though he exists in the Gospels in the beginning of those pages, we, we like to focus in on Jesus. We like to focus in on Mary and Joseph and the baby and all that. But we don't really talk about Zechariah that much. So when I was doing my study, I actually learned several things about Zechariah, and I wanted to share those with you and kind of give us some context for where we're headed this morning. So Here's a little bit about Zechariah. Uh, first thing you need to know about Zechariah is that his wife was barren. Uh, she could not have a child, uh, even when they were in their youth, which they are not anymore. By the time this story happens, they're older. Uh, when they were in their youth, they couldn't have a child. They tried and tried and just couldn't make it happen. 
Now that they're older, they definitely can't have a child, and so there is no hope for them to ever give birth and actually continue their generation on. Another thing that you need to know about Zechariah as it pertains to what we're going to be talking about today is that he was a Jewish priest. So we don't really have um, a lot of priests, uh, you know, Catholic Church and other churches, some, you know, Jewish uh, synagogues and stuff like that, they'll, obviously they'll use priests uh, today, but priests are kind of foreign to us. I mean, you can kind of think of a priest as, as a pastor, a lot of pastoral type duties, but is even more like a step above, like an intermediary between God and us, um, someone that would go between him. And so he had some extra duties. In fact, every day back then, uh, the temple was very much a thing and very much a part of their society. The temple there's lots of things that would happen in the temple. Obviously, a lot of us know that they would sacrifice an animal, a lamb, or um, you know, some kind of an unblemished animal to God once a year to atone for sins. But there was stuff that was happening every day in the temple. The temple was a very busy place to be. And every day, the incense, there was incense that was burned in the holiest of holies, the, the dark recess of the back of the temple that no one was allowed to go into except for one man, the priest. They had a lot of priests. Uh, Zechariah was probably one of maybe as many as 20,000 different priests that they had. But if you think about it, do the math, 365 days a year, 20,000 priests, you were lucky to get into the temple once in your life. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that he is actually given on this day. He, by, he wins the priest lottery and, and draws the lot, and he gets to go in, and this is his big day. He's been, work, he's been waiting maybe 40, 50 years for this opportunity, and he gets to go in and burn the incense. It's just an incredible privilege, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He goes in. He, light, he finds the, the incense table. He's never been in there before. He, he, he lights the incense, puts it on the altar, and lights it up. And then immediately something happens that ne- has never happened before. An angel appears right by the incense table, and it's Gabriel, a terrifying, horrifying, just you know, fear-inducing creature right in front of him. And basically, Gabriel, Gabriel has one thing to say to him. You're about to have a son. And of course, you know, he's not praying for this. He's praying for the people. He's not, he's not even focused on his son. He's probably stopped praying for his son for 20 years at least. And here he is, Gabriel is standing right before him and saying, you're going to have a son. And his initial reaction, pretty ballsy if you ask me, this terrifying creature right in front of him, he says, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. And immediately the angel, by the power of God, the angel mutes him. And says, you're not going to be able to speak. If you, if you have that reaction, you're not going to be able to speak for the next nine months. Until the baby is born, you're going to be mute. And uh, then there's some other things that happen during the pregnancy. We're actually going to skip over that today. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks as we, as we look more at Mary's birth and stuff like that. But we'll skip uh, straight, fast forward straight to the end of the nine-month pregnancy. When it's time for the baby to be born, um, Everyone is saying, what's the baby's name going to be? Uh, you know, the son is, is born. What's, what's the name? And they were going to name the child within the first few days of, of its birth. And, and uh, everyone was assuming it's just going to be Zach Jr. It's just going to be the next Zachariah in the line of Zacharias. And, and, uh, and so they ask Zachariah. Of course, he can't respond. He can't speak to them. But they say, hey, you know, what, write it down. What, what do you want his name to be? And he says, his name is John the same name that Gabriel had told him to name his child. And immediately, as soon as he wrote those words on the tablet, immediately his mouth was loosened and he was able to speak. What we're going to read this morning is his first words. His first words after nine months. 
If you were unable to speak for nine months, what would be your first words? What would, what, what would you, the stuff that you've been holding back for nine months, that, that you had just really wanted to let out on somebody, you know, yes, that tank, Thanksgiving turkey was bad, or uh, yes, that dress does make you look fat. I, I, yeah, I didn't want to tell you at the time, but, uh, you know, what, what, the stuff that you've been holding back for all these months, what would you say uh, when you finally get the chance to speak again for almost a year? This is what he says. It's not exactly what I would have thought of, but Luke chapter 1, verse 68. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. I, I don't think I would say that about God on a good day. This is, this is uh, nine months of silence. Uh, he's probably not too impressed or too happy with God, but he, his first words are praise the Lord, God of Israel. He's got something on his mind, and we're going to see what he says. Because he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, on this day, you would think that he would be super excited, super just pumped about his newborn child. I mean, he had been waiting for this child for he could be in his 50s, his 60s, later. He finally gets a child, and he's all focused on what God wants to do because he sees the future. He sees what's about to happen. And he says that God has visited and redeemed his people. There's a lot in that phrase. We're not going to unpack all of it this morning. But suffice it to say that at this point in time, the people had not heard from God for 400 years, four centuries that's a long time. Think about how long we have existed as a country, the United States of America, way less than that. 400 years, you have to go back. We're coming up on the, on, I think, 1620, was that Plymouth Rock and Pilgrims and all that? Um, I should know that since we just had Thanksgiving, but I don't. Um, 400 years ago, you know, you're talking about going all the way back to the early settlers of the United States, of, this, of the New World, uh, to go back 400 years. That's how long it had been since people had even heard just a peep from God. And so Zechariah is getting excited because that time is about to come. Verse 69, he says, He, God, has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Now he's talking about, we know he's talking about Jesus here, not John. So John just got, uh, got you know, was just born, but he's not talking about John in this moment. Uh, John and Zechariah, they were not from the line of David. Jesus was from the line of David. And so he's talking about Jesus in this moment. Just as he promised that he's sending us a mighty Savior, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now, this time, we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. Now, I kind of struggled with this phrase a little bit this week because I was thinking, well, did Jesus really save them from the Romans? Um, you know, the, the Roman Empire was, was oppressing them and forcing them to to follow their laws and to, you know, there were a lot of spiritual things that they couldn't do anymore because the Romans were controlling them so much and overtaxing them. And did Jesus save them from the Romans? Well, not, not directly. I mean, the, the Roman Empire crumbled pretty quickly after Jesus came, but um, did, he, did Jesus come to save them from the Romans? No, uh, not really. What were the, the enemies that were oppressing them? And I, I was talking with Paul and Shane a little bit about it this, morning, this week, and um, and I, I really came to the realization, I really feel like he's talking more about the spiritual oppression that they were going through. Um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that like to just put their thumb on people and say, you're going to follow these laws even though God didn't write these laws. Uh, we want you to follow these laws. And if you get out of line, we're going to put you in, in, in your place and put you back in line. The spiritual oppression that they were going through, their enemies were the ones that were spiritually oppressing them. And I, I really feel like that's the Pharisees and the leaders that were telling them what to do. Verse 72, he says, He has been merciful to our ancestors long ago, hundreds of years ago, by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant that he swore with an oath to our ancestor all the way back to Abraham, 2,000 years before that moment. He's been swearing this, that this would happen. 
Verse 74, we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. Do you hear that spiritual oppression there? We want to serve God without fear, and this man is going to come and help us with that. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son. Now, this, he does actually turn to John just for two verses, but he turns to John just for a second, his little boy. And he says, you, son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. We know that John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptizer, he was the one that would proclaim Jesus. You will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through, through forgiveness of their sins. And then he says a couple more things about Jesus. He says, because of God's tender mercy, this morning light, Jesus, from heaven, is about to break upon us. I love that. This morning light is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us into the path of peace. So this prophecy that Zechariah gives on this big day, this this big day where his son is born, but he also knows that in about five more months that Jesus is going to be born and some powerful things are going to happen for his people for the first time in four centuries. He gets really excited on this day. It really helps us ask the question, answer the question this morning, how do we see love from God? Love is what we're talking about this morning. How do we see love from God? We know that God loves us, but how do we know that God loves us? And when God brings his love, how, what does it come to tackle? Uh, what does it come to provide? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So in, a, in, just in light of love, we're going to be talking about three things. You've got them on the, the papers that are on the chairs around you if you want to pick one of those up. We're going to be talking about fear. We're going to be talking about silence. And we're going to be talking about sacrifice. The, th- the three things that I feel like love really does come to bring um, attack to and, and provide for us. The Christmas time, uh, I love Christmas. My wife and I love Christmas. We get excited about the gifts and the family time together and, and all, the, you know, all the spirit of Christmas that goes around. It's a, it's a time of anticipation. Um, we use the word around Christmas time, we use the word Advent, which is basically just a fancy word for anticipation. There's a lot of anticipation of hopefully good things. You know, when you get together with your family, you anticipate good times and good conversations, good food, uh, good gifts, uh, things that, that we love to do together. There's a time of, uh, an, an enhanced time of intense, anticipation during, during this time of year. It's the, the most wonderful time of year is what a lot of people say. Um, in the Bible, the, when the Bible is talking about anticipation, the idea of pregnancy or, or, or a woman in labor pains or someone who's about to give birth is often used as, as to kind of describe the kinds of anticipation. Now, a lot of you in this room have children. My wife and I have yet to have, have children. We're hoping to have children someday. And, and I know when that day comes, and, and it was like this for you, I'm sure, but there's an, a building anticipation with every day that, that happens during, during those 40 weeks. There's, with every week that passes, the anticipation gets a little higher and a little more excited. And we know that that day is going to come. And we kind of see that from Zechariah. He's got this good anticipation of what this, what this child is going to bring, this Jesus is going to bring, and how his son is going to be, uh, even in a small way, involved in that. But a bad kind of anticipation is something completely different, isn't it? When we have a good anticipation, we, we like to call that hope. Um, but when we have a bad kind of anticipation, when we think that not good things are around the next corner, but negative things, that bad things are going to happen around the next bend, that's when fear comes in. And that's the first thing we want to talk about this morning is how love can actually expel fear, that it can actually drive out fear for us. Um, the people around Zechariah, the people that Zechariah knew, his people, the Israelites, they had a lot of fear in their days. 
Um, they, they feared the spiritual people that were, that were oppressing them uh, around them, the spiritual leaders. They feared the, the physical oppression from the Romans. Um, they, they just lived in fear all the time. They, they had moments of, 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 of good times. And, and again, the temple was still processing and everything like that. But, but by and large, they felt like they had to kind of watch what they do, watch what they say. Someone's going to get on to me. What will, what will they do to me if I do this or say this that they told me not to do? I thought about the woman, you know, probably the pinnacle example of this is the woman caught in, in adultery. Um, this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery uh, in the house, and they pulled her out of the house, and hopefully she even had enough time to wrap a blanket around her before they, before they pulled her, dragged her out into the streets. And they dragged her, they pulled her, and just threw her in front of Jesus and said, look what this woman has done. Look at her. Look at what she's done. And, you know, it was great to have Mindy here this morning and, and talk about, you know, how how women in particular can be um, taken advantage of and, and attacked and, and forced into uh, an oppression uh, because of, of, of just the, the gender that they were born with. And, and this woman, just how horrible it was that they would just subject her to do that. But if they were willing to do that, what else were they willing to do? And the people that lived around this woman, maybe they weren't caught in the act of adultery, but maybe they were caught in other things. And the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, were, were putting them in their place. Um, this fear of the unknown bad that's always around the next bend. I think that's kind of how they lived. Um, this fear of the unknown, and it's, especially in a bad way, is why you either love scary movies or you hate scary movies. Uh, I'm more in the second camp. My wife is definitely in the second camp of hating scary movies. Um, I used to love scary movies. I don't know what it, but there's something about the thrill of, of like, you know, look behind you or don't go in there or, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I have no idea why in, in every scary movie people feel the need to separate from each other. Like they, they don't want to stay as a group. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to go off in this room, this dark room by myself. You guys go have fun. Um, you just know that something bad is going to happen. <laughs> and it, and it, it either terrifies you so much that you're just, I'm not going to watch this movie, or you love it. Like, you just get into it, and you get excited about it, because, oh, man, something bad's going to happen. But that thrill, that fear that we feel um, is, is real. When it, when it, it's, it's great when it's on screen, but when it happens in real life, um, it, can be, it can be terrorizing. It can be um, just, you know, completely, uh, you know, just take all of our will and all of our emotion out of us. And it's even worse when it comes to God. Um, when, we fear, when we fear God, um, and I think maybe some of us in this room maybe even do have some fear about God, about what God might do to you or might do to me if we mess up, if we screw up. What's God going to do to me? This Zeus, lightning bolt kind of God that if I mess up in any way, he's going to strike me down. Uh, I hear that in, in our common media, TV shows and, and movies, you know, that, you know, oh, I'm going to step to the side. You know, someone says something, oh, I'm going to get out of the way. God's going to strike you down. That kind of mentality is so popular in our culture today. And that fear of God is not something that God's ever wanted us to have. Um, but there are other fears as well that, that we fight, that God wants to help fight uh, for us on our behalf. Um, not just the fear of him, but uh, fear of physical ailments. That's something that's been kind of rising up in our church recently. We have several people that are, are struggling physically um, with, with a, a, an illness or a disease. And um, even, even mine isn't as bad, but I've had a lot of head stuff, sinus stuff in the last year that's been very debilitating and very depressing. Um, and it, I know what it feels like, even though I'm, I'm not even struggling half as much as some people in this room, but um, of, of wondering, is this ever going to get better? Um, is, am I always going to be this way? Will I always feel this way or will I get worse? 
Um, I think another fear for us is, is just sin itself. You know, that, that um, if I continue to engage in this sin, who is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt me? Is it going to hurt my wife or my, my husband or my child? Um, you know, what will sin do to me? Um, I think a third one really that's pretty popular today is relationships just in general. We fear other people because of how they feel about us. Or um, maybe you work with somebody that's just really hard, really difficult to get along with. And, and you fear what they might say next because last week they said that thing and it really got under your skin and it really destroyed you inside. Is it going to happen tomorrow on Monday? Um, just that fear that we, that we sometimes live with just because of the people that we're forced to be around. It could even be family, uh, family or, or coworkers that you, that you kind of have to be around. But the good news is that love expels fear. That's what we know from Scripture. And, and that's what we're going to look at um, this morning. Um, he saw, God saw the Israelites' fear and pain. We saw that in the scripture that we just read this morning. He sees your fear and your pain. He saw what they were enslaved to. He sees what you're enslaved to. He saw the ones that hated them, that, that loved to oppress them. He sees the people that love to oppress you and love to hate you for whatever reason. Um, but he doesn't just see us. He wants to do something about it. He wants to actually act and give us his mercy and his love. In verse 78 of what we just read, um, I love it. I love the illustration of light and darkness in that verse. He says that, that the light is coming to, to basically to get rid, get rid of or expel the darkness. We have um, uh, yesterday, the last couple of days, my wife and I put up lights, Christmas lights on our house. Did everyone... Did anyone else put up lights in, on your house or in, like inside of your house, Christmas trees and stuff like that? I saw several of you Facebook page, uh, Facebook, Facebooking uh, pictures of your tree. Um, we love light at Christmas time. Light is a big deal, and I love light at Christmas time because it reminds me of how um, it, you can go into a dark room and flip on a light, flip on you know the Christmas lights or just your li- overhead lights, and that darkness just immediately scatters. It Im- immediately goes away, and, and we know that light expels that darkness. But in that same way, that imagery of light and darkness can be appri- applied to love and fear. That when love comes in, it f- expels the fear that's in our hearts. Um, The important thing to remember when we're feeling fear is that God is still with us, that he's coming in to expel the fear that's in our hearts, that when we feel the anxiety that that comes with whatever situation that you find yourself in, whether you're struggling with something physically or struggling with some kind of a sin or, or a battle with some other person, that God loves you still, that God is still there with you in the midst of that struggle. Um, there's a sense that really that fear changes us, that Without the fear, we would be a different person. And with the fear, we're, we are completely different. We're not like ourselves anymore. But I really feel like in the, just as fear is the anticipation of bad things, that the anticipation of love, to know that God loves us, that God loves me still in the midst of my situation, and that love is coming around the bend next, not, not bad, not evil, um, that anticipation of love can change us as well. And, I, and that's what I'm praying for this morning, in just in particular with, in regards to fear, that somebody this morning that maybe has a lot of fear because of whatever is going on in your life, and I don't know exactly what's going on in all of your guys' life, but that your fear, whatever you're afraid of, would, would it's not going to go away in an instant, but God would, would just day by day, moment by moment, begin to express his love to you, and that you would experience his love in ways that would expel that fear, and that would, um, would start to, to rid, rid you of it, so you can get back to who you normally are and who you are uh, in Christ. 
Um, let's look at a couple of verses that talk about love. In verse John 4:18, one of my favorite passages about love, especially as it relates to fear, it says, "Such love, um, this is God's love for us or our love for God. That kind of love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear." If we are afraid, and if, if, if you are afraid this morning, you should definitely pay attention to this next phrase. If you are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If you are afraid this morning, um, what John is suggesting is that it might just be because you fear punishment, not good from God. Now, there's a certain amount of fear that's unavoidable. Um, I, I don't think that just because you have fears that you're fearing some kind of punishment from God, but um, you know, certainly Jesus was afraid. Um, right before he went to go to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood. Um, obviously very anxious, very terrified of what was about to happen to him because he knew what was coming around the next corner. But never once did he think that God was punishing him for that act, that God, God's, uh, God sending him to the cross was punishment for something that Christ had done. And, and that's, I think, the secret of what First uh, John is saying, is that if you have fear of punishment from God, that whatever you're going through is God's punishment upon you, exacting some kind of a revenge or retribution for something that you've done, I'm here to tell you this morning that's not true. That God does not punish us for the things that we've done and cause us to go through some kind of physical ailment or, or, or bad experience with a person because of something that you did. If you feel that way, First John says, experience his love. You've got to experience and press into God's love so that he can rid you from that fear of punishment. So if you have fear this morning, that's my, that's my encourage, encouragement to you before we go on to the next point. Press into God's love. Um, it's easy to do here in this, in this space, here on Sunday mornings. Um, but guess what? I, Shane's not going to be at your house tomorrow to preach to you. The band's not going to come and lead worship at, in your living room tomorrow night. You've got to find ways to press into God's love on a daily basis. And we can give you tools. We can give you ideas uh, for how to do that. Um, we have what we call the three tools here, Bible, prayer, and community. There's lots of ways that you can get, um, get more of God's love into your life to expel some of the fears that you're struggling with on a daily basis. But you've got to do them on a daily basis. It cannot be once a week. Um, that's not going to be enough, um, especially for some of the bigger fears in your life. Um, I know when I've been the most afraid in my life, it's been the times where I've pressed into God the least, when I've, when I've sought him the least. And I don't want that for anyone here this morning. If you're feeling fear, if you're feeling afraid, and you feel like God may even be punishing you for something that you've done in the past, my encouragement to you this morning before you leave is to press hard into God's love. Let him love you. Let him show you that he is with you still, even in the midst of your struggle. So love has come to expel the fear in our lives. We know that for sure. But there's another theme in the passage that it's kind of in the background. That's why I gave you the background of Zechariah. Um, it's, it's just, it's so funny how God works. God had given, had made Zechariah silent for nine months. I'm sure it felt like 400 years to Zechariah, but it was not, not 400 years, it was nine months. But it felt like that to him. And in the same way that Zechariah was silent and was getting ready to speak, that Zechariah was getting ready to speak, I really feel like God is doing the same thing. It's all analogy. He's saying, yes, I've been silent for more than nine months, for 400 years, and I'm getting ready to speak as well. And, and so that's the second thing we want to talk about this morning, that love is opposed to silence. Yes, love expels our fear, but, but lo love is actually opposed to silence. Now, Jessica is, is really good at not giving me the silent treatment. I want to make sure I say that right. Got good at not giving me the silent treatment. 
Um, but it's the worst, right? I, I, everyone in this room can relate either, if you're in, in a relationship right now where there's silent treatment, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just saying in my life, it was in the past, it was an old girlfriend that I had in college. Um, she, she just, it was her favorite form of punishment <laughs> uh, for me. If I did something or said something that was just a little bit out of line, um, sometimes days or a week would go by and I wouldn't see the girl, I wouldn't hear from her. Um, she just, you know, just the silent treatment was just the way for her to get back at me for whatever I did. The worst part about a silent treatment is, is not necessarily the, the lack of communication, although that's terrible when you're in a, in a loving relationship, but the worst part is not knowing what you did or what you said, because you wanted so badly just to talk to her. I wanted so badly just to talk to her and say, what did I do? Like, you know what? Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. I, if I knew what I had done, I'd apologize for it, but I don't, I don't even know what I did. Um, <clears throat> and it's just, it's just the worst kind of, kind of punishment for me. Um, and something that I would never want to do for somebody else. But I feel like that's what the Israelites felt towards God during that 400 years, that God was giving them the silent treatment for 400 years. They did not hear anything from God. No prophets spoke to them. Um, when they would cry out to God, um, God oftentimes would not, would not respond to them. They were throwing up sacrifices and burning incense and doing all the things every day of the year to try to appease God and to, to reach out to him. And they weren't hearing much uh, back from him hardly at all. They had the scriptures available to them. They could read about God and experience him through the word, but they were not hearing from him on a regular basis. And that kind of silence can be, can be deafening to us. It can be horrifying to us when we feel like we reach out to God and he has nothing to say. He has nothing to say back to us. Um, you know what the best remedy is for silence? Obviously, you can probably guess it this morning. It's not words. It's not speaking it's love. The, when the person that maybe was giving you the silent treatment for several days, when they came back to you and he or she said, uh, you know, I'm not mad anymore, or I still love you. Uh, maybe the whole time that that silent treatment was going on, you were thinking, does, does she even love me? Does he even still love me anymore? Um, you know, what, what have I done? And, and, and is this, you know, are we ever going to be a, a couple again? That when that person does come back to you and says, I still love you. I, I want relationship with you again. I want to open the lines of communication again. That relief that just washes over you in that moment of, of just going, yes, we can be together. We can talk together and, and, and communicate with each other again. It's just refreshing that relief that washes over you. Um, let's look at a couple of verses. Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1, 1 and 2. It says this about God speaking. That long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors, referring to the Old Testament, through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. This is why Zechariah was so excited on this day. He couldn't help but exclaim, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He's super pumped. He's super excited because he knows that love is opposed to silence and that God is getting ready to speak again to his people, to show his love to them through Jesus the book of Hebrews makes that very clear, that God is getting ready to speak to us through his son, Jesus. That um, it, it actually says in, in the very first pages of the book of John, the gospel of John, one of the four gospels that we have, that Jesus was literally the word. He was the word of God getting ready to speak to his people. And that's what Zechariah was so excited about, that love was going to be opposed to silence. Um, Oftentimes, the, the silence come, what comes with silence is not necessarily fear, although I think there could be some fear with silence, but really the biggest emotion that is coupled with fear is really doubt. 
Um, does, does she still love me? Does he still love me anymore? Will we be together again? Um, it, it, does God care about me? Is God still there for me? I haven't heard from him in days, weeks, months. Does God even still know I exist? That kind of silence can, can cause that kind of, those kind of doubts. In Psalm 23, one of the best uh, psalms, a lot of you have Psalm 23 memorized. Maybe you memorized it as a little child or recently. Uh, the 23rd Psalm is, is just a precious psalm that we have in the scriptures. Verse 4, basically, just to paraphrase it, you can throw it up on the screen if you want, Taylor, but um, basically what he's saying is, I can go through hell and back. I can go through the, the darkest times, uh, the valley of the shadow of death itself, and I know that it's okay because the God is still with me in the middle of that. So when, even when he's silent, even when I'm going through the hardest times, and I, I'm not even sure that God's there anymore, I know because of his word, because of his scripture, I know his scripture is true, that he is always with me all the time. So even in the midst of silence, we can know that God is with us, standing right next to us. So if you feel like you're getting silence from God, that you, you know, your prayers just kind of hit the ceiling and no further, how do you break the silence? How do you, how do you restore communication with God? Um, obviously, you know, we said it's not necessarily about words, um, but you need to speak to him. You need to talk with him. Some of you, beyond just praying before a meal, some of you haven't prayed in weeks or months. Um, maybe it's just not just a regular part of your, your daily routine or, or a, even a weekly routine where you're praying to God and reaching out to him in love and saying, I love you. I want to hear from you. Please speak to me. Speak into my life. Um, you know, tell me what you want from me and how, can, how I can respond to you. Some of you haven't gone to God in that kind of fervent prayer in a while, and, it, and that could be a major reason, if not the reason, why you're experiencing a lot of silence from God. Um, I promise you that God has not left your side. He is right there with you. But if you f- feel like he's not speaking into your, li- into your life, maybe break the silence by speaking to him and telling him how much you love him. You know, God, God has loved you so far before you even decided to love him or even know that he existed. He, is, he has loved you first, and all we have to do is love him in return. We were just respond in love, and that can break the silence uh, love is opposed to silence. And if you love God in return and let him love you, that will break that silence. Um, I truly believe that God doesn't give the silent treatment. Uh, I don't believe that God was giving this, the people the silent treatment for those 400 years. Oftentimes, God doesn't always respond in the timing that we would like. There's a lot of times where I've waited to hear from God that I felt like he should have responded earlier than he did, and, and, and he waited a long time. But then when he did speak into my life, I felt like it was the right timing. It was, it was him holding back because his timing was better than, than what I wanted. And I feel like that's what God was doing with the Israelites too. He was, yes, he was getting ready to speak. Zechariah was pumped about that. He can't wait for Jesus to come and to finally f- let God speak through his son um, after all this waiting, all this time. But in our lives, we've got to have the same kind of patience sometimes. That, yes, there's silence from God, but God is not giving you the silent treatment. He's not upset with you. He's not, he's not punishing you with silence. He is silent because he's waiting for the right time to speak. And I'm not sure, I, I won't be able to tell you when that time is that he wants to speak to you, but I know that he will speak when the timing is right. I know it's tough. Um, I've been through that. I'm going through that myself right now. Um, but I'm waiting patiently. I'm trying to be patient to wait for God because I know that when his love comes in, when his right timing comes in, that love will dispel the silence and, and be opposed to it. So fear, silence, these are things that fear is obviously opposed to, but, but what, is, what is love? Um, there was a popular song uh, by Hathaway in the 90s, What is love? Uh, baby, don't hurt me. Um, and... Uh, 
And, you know, we've been asking that for years and years and years. What, what is love, really? And, and love is maybe one of the hardest, I, th- I believe it's the, mo- the hardest word to define in our English language, in any language, really. Um, but what is, what is love? It can be so many things, and it, it looks in so many different ways. You know, we say we love, in our, especially in our language, we love cheeseburgers, and we love our kids, and stuff like that. It's just really hard, a hard word to defi- define, but really, when you get to true love, like what true love looks like in the movies, in our books and TV shows, um, what does love really look like? When you get to the purest form of love, really, love is sacrifice. Love is when you sacrifice for somebody else and are willing to give up your rights for somebody else's. Um, The passage that we read from Zachariah's song, even though, uh, you know, I I was talking to Shane this week, I said, are you sure you you want me to preach this passage on love? The word love doesn't ever ever appear (laughs) in those verses. It never says the word love. And he said, yes, but look through the script, look look through the verses, look at the attitude, um, the things that Zachariah is talking about. He's talking about how this this son of God, this Jesus is going to come and he's going to dispel fear. He's going to dispel silence. He's going to come in and, and, and sacrifice himself for them to give them salvation and forgive them of their sins. Love is throughout that passage. And it's true that love is sacrifice, and we see a lot of sacrifice in the passage that we read this morning. Um, would, sacrifice is a difficult subject to talk about. It's uncomfortable for us. Um, would you sacrifice your life to save the life of, let's say, even 10 people? Uh, others have done that. Some people have fallen on grenades in, in wartime to save a house full of people. Um, would you do it to save 100 people or 1,000 people? Here's where it gets tricky. Would you do it even if you were in your 20s or 30s, knowing that you had a full life ahead of you um, versus if you were older and, and didn't have as many years? Would you be willing, knowing that you had a full life, maybe 40, 50 more years left to live, would you give it all of that up um, so that other people could live the full life that you wouldn't be able to live? Um, obviously, that's what Christ did for us. He gave up his life uh, for us, not just for one person, but for the entire world. And that's the purest form of love, is that kind of sacrifice. Let's look at John fifteen thirteen. This is actually Jesus' words, what he believes about love. Um, if we're going to define the word love, we might define it the way Jesus does. John fifteen thirteen. he says, There's no greater love than this, to lay, one's, lay down one's life for one's friends purest form of sacrifice to actually give your life so that somebody else can live. That's what love looks like. That's what true love looks like. So the person sitting next to you maybe, or the person that is at home right now, um, the person that you love, are you willing to sacrifice for them? Would you be willing to give up your life? Would you be able to, uh, to, to take a bullet for somebody? That, you know, if, if my wife was, if someone had a, a gun trained on my wife, I, w- I would happily take a bullet for her, and I believe she would do the same for me. But would I, would I take a bullet for you? Would you take a bullet for me? Maybe someone you didn't know very well. Maybe someone that hates you. Would you be willing to take a bullet for them? Um, that's a harder question for us to ask. That sacrificial love is the purest form of love, but it's hard for us to comprehend what that would be like, or why would we even want to do that? Um, there's lots of different kinds of love, but we know that God gave his love for us in a particular way. It's a verse all of us, a lot of us know, um, I, I, even if you've been outside of church or haven't been around church very much, you've heard this verse, John 3.16. Um, I thought it was very applicable for this morning, um, even though we've heard it a lot. John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved. There's lots of different kinds of love out there, but this is the kind of love that God had for the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone, everyone in the world who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 
I don't know about you, but in verse 17, what I hear when I'm reading that passage, what I hear is no more fear. That God did not come to judge you. He did not come to condemn you. That there's no reason to fear him. If, if he did come to judge you, if he did come to condemn you, you have every reason to fear him. But he did not come to do that. He didn't come to judge or condemn. He came to save through his, sound, through his, his work on the cross. Um, in verse 16, I hear, just you know, loosely translated, I hear no more silence. That God says, look, I've been silent for X number of years, but I'm not going to be silent anymore. Love is opposed to silence. I'm going to send my son into the world and love you through him. And in the whole thing, I, I hear just abounding sacrifice. Um, I'm willing to do whatever it takes if it means sending my son to die the ugliest death possible in this world on the cross, I'll do it because I want to sacrifice for you. I want you to see my love for you. Um, the idea behind love and sacrifice in particular is really this idea, in our culture today, we really kind of see it as a superhero. And, and some of you who know me know that I'm, I'm a comic book nerd. I love the, the superhero movies, TV shows, whatever it is, uh, Disney XD, I don't care. I'll, I'll watch it all. I love superhero stuff. Uh, I, just, I just get a rise out of it. And a lot of you do too. I, I, I think a lot of people in this room, you just get a charge from going to see the latest Avengers movie or Captain America or Batman or something like that. We love superheroes in our culture because it's all about this kind of love. It's all about that sacrificial love. Here's the basic rundown of every superhero movie that you'll ever watch. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the plot of every movie you're about to see in the next six years. Um, there's a villain. There's someone that is oppressing people, um, making them feel fear. Uh, there's a, a group of people that, that can do nothing about it. Uh, it's the people that are being oppressed, but it's also maybe like in the case of Batman, it's the Gotham City PD. They, they would love to you know, fight the Joker, but they, just, they don't have either the ability or the desire to even go toe-to-toe. And then someone has to come in, some superhero has to come in and save the day to sacrifice his body, sacrifice maybe even his life to save the people from the thing that they're, that they're fearful from. And, and Superman returns. I'll, one, one, allow me, one, indulge me with one, one quote. Uh, Superman returns, not a great movie, but, but great, great, great uh, lines, great quotes. Um, Superman returns actually deals with the issue of silence. Um, that Superman for a long time had been silent. He had been gone. Uh, he had left the world and had left the people to fend for themselves. And, and they obviously were in a lot of trouble. And they were hoping that for the one day that Superman would return to them. And Lois Lane, actually the, the biggest um, kind of you know, rally around Superman person was the most skeptical. And she wrote a, an article in, in that movie. It says, uh, she wrote, the title of the article was Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. She, she believed that, wholeheartedly wrote an article about it. And then Sur Superman tells Lois this great quote, that I, th I think is so applicable for this morning. He says, you wrote, Lois, you wrote that this world doesn't need a savior. But every day I hear people crying for one. Every day. Um, now he's obviously referring to his super hearing ability. <laughs> you can hear people from hundreds, thousands of miles away. Um, but he's saying, look, I, I know you don't admit that the world needs a, a superhero, but I know, I know better than that. I know otherwise. I hear people crying for one every single day. And, and then that's, that's when he returns to save, save the day. Um, Likewise, God is hearing us, and he's hearing our need for a savior. We need the highest form of love in our lives. We need that kind of sacrifice. And God has already sent that superhero to us in the form of Jesus. God has sent his son to be that love in flesh for us, saving us, being our superhero. Um, one of my favorite passages, kind of an obscure passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 63.1, 
Um, it actually uses this kind of terminology. It says, who is this hero marching in his glorious uniform? It's me, the Lord. I have won the battle and I can save you. Who's this hero? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to be that love, that sacrificial love for us, to expel our fear, to the, the oppression that's on us, that's on, a, on, on our chest every day. God says, I've come to expel that fear from you, to get rid of the silence. Whatever silence is in between you and God, God says, I sent my son to cure that and to oppose that silence. And we can experience that sacrificial love. So just to wrap things up this morning, who or what do you fear? What, what, what in your life right now, I, I feel like just almost maybe everyone in this room has some kind of anxiety or, anxiety or fear about something that you're afraid of what's going to happen around the next corner. Press into God's love, if you feel that way this morning. Press into God's love during these songs that we're about to sing and throughout the week, of course. Do you feel like God is distant or silent, that, that he's not been with you, that you used to feel like he was right next to you and you don't feel that way anymore? God, I, what I believe God wants to tell you this morning is that he's not and that he wants you to speak to him, to lay down your pride and to reach out to him and to love him and say, I, I need your love in my life again. Um, or maybe a few of you this morning just need to realize your need for a hero, that, that whether other people want to admit it or not, whether your boss wants to admit it, when, whether your family members want to admit it or um, none of them admit it, you need a hero and I need a hero. And maybe this morning you just need to say, God, I just need you to be my hero. I need, I need sacrifice in my life. I need you to love me um, like I haven't been loved before. And the way that, that I can't fix myself, I need you to help me, help me fix what's wrong inside of me. Um, the band's going to come up. They're going to take the stage and lead us in a couple songs. We're going to sing a couple songs about love and about how um, this, this night, this holy night, um, this beautiful night when Christ came was the beginning of love uh, for us, for us today. So um, if you want to go ahead and um, uh, pray with me, I want to pray for you, and, and you can pray for me as well, that we would experience this kind of love at Christmas time this year. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you do have love for us, that you are... Um, a loving God, the one that, that saw our need for love, that saw our need to have fear expelled from our hearts and from our lives, um, that, that you don't want silence between us and you, that, that you knew that the best cure for all of those things was love, and you sent your son at Christmas time to be that sacrifice for us. Everything that we needed, you gave us. We just thank you that you are here with us, that you are listening to us, you're right next to us, and Lord, as we sing these songs, that you can come down in power, that love itself can come down right into our lives and into our hearts and into our minds, everything that we need. So God, I pray that you would do that for these people here. Today, you do that for me. Just let us feel your, uh, your abounding, just all-consuming love today. We love you so much, and we worship you with these songs of love now. In your name I pray, amen. Go ahead and, and stand um, and sing these songs with us. We're going to sing a couple songs together. Um, if you need to talk with me or somebody else, we'll have me and Shelly both will be in the back, and we would love to talk with you and pray with you some more about anything that you might be struggling with this morning. Thank you for listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. To give towards the mission of God through Crosspoint, go to www.cpf.me forward slash give.